Excellent. So we're going to kick off the final session right now. Hopefully you got some insights and some benefits from, from the first two speakers. I always enjoy um, hearing other people talk from the industry, and, and it's really quite fascinating. So there's a couple of things that we're going to do just to finish off. And um, the main presentation that I'm going to go through is called the Inbound Blueprint. And it's really just stepping back and, and looking at the core fundamentals of why we do what we do and how we do it and how we can help. Um, but I, I, not inspired is not quite the right word. Um, talking about agencies, we tend not to wave our own flag too much, but I'm, I'm going to take an opportunity to do that here, if you'll forgive me. Um, we've been selected to appear in the parliamentary review. So this is a government body that looks at uh, cross industries across the country, looks at the state of the nation, um, and White Hat have been chosen as an example of an outstanding um, company working in the digital agency, helping companies grow. So we're really, really proud of that. Um, it's not really the, the, the thing that I wanted to, to focus on. Um, it's, it's more just a, a, a side swipe, because we've sort of managed to avoid the B word uh, for, for most of the, the presentation. And obviously, we're going to leverage this as much as we can. It's going to be turned into press release. It's going to be done this and it's, uh, all sorts of stuff. There's quite a comprehensive article. Here's my picture. You know me, what we do, all these kind of things. And the, the reason I'm saying this is that sometimes you've got to take the good with the bad. And obviously, there's nothing bad about being referenced by the government as you know, a leader in your industry unless you see the person who's actually um, promoting <laughs> you. <laughs> uh, so I'm, I'm, I take no sides, but we're happy to have the right honorable uh, Mr. Gove uh, on our side. Take, take that in whatever way you, you like, but moving rapidly on. <laughs> yes. Brexit means Brexit, of course it does. Let me just whiz through these opening ones because this is where we are. So you know who we are. Um, inbound, you should kind of know what inbound is. You, there's an awful lot of HubSpot users here. Um, even th those who aren't HubSpot users have probably heard me rattle on um, about the inbound methodology. But I think it's worth actually stepping back and, and, and looking at it and figuring out why we do what we do, how we can do it better, and what the methodology and process around some of these things are. And I had a conversation earlier over coffee, and, and it reminded me of a, um, some statistics that HubSpot threw out the other, the other day. And, and Halligan, when he came and, and spoke, mentioned this. The way that people buy has changed. It's fundamentally different than it was 10 years ago, certainly than it was 15 to 20 years ago. And statistically, you can, you can put numbers around this, and, it, and it's quite, quite simple to understand. It's not complicated. If you look back in time, when people bought something, they would turn to an expert. That expert would be a salesperson. And if you were buying a car, if you were buying a house, if you were buying a piece of enterprise-level software, you would go to the salesperson. 
And the balance between sales and marketing was probably around 20% on the marketing side and about 80% or so on the sales side. And the salesman was the expert. He was the guy that you had to go to because he owned the knowledge. He had all the, the information, the price, the capabilities, the, 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 all these things that you wanted to know about were owned by the sales guy. And if you think about that, that's why we're stuck, even now, in the methodology of, or the mythology of sales. So if a company wants to grow, they still think, well, we'd better hire some more salespeople. Yeah, we'd better invest in, this, in the sales team, because that was the traditional way that you grew a company. Now, if you look at the statistics, those numbers are reversed. Probably 70% of the time that a buyer goes through, their buyer's journey, the stages that they go through before they actually make a purchase from you, is spent not talking to one of your salespeople, not talking to anybody in your organization directly. 60-70%. So think about that in terms of budgets. Why then are companies spending so much money still on the sales? And why is marketing still seen as not inferior, but, but a, a lesser partner in that relationship? And I think it's wrong. And I think it's changing. It is changing. But it's changing slowly because it's difficult to move an oil tanker that's, that's moving in a particular direction. It, it, it takes a while. But this is why marketing needs to fight for its, its corner. Because if, you, if you've got budget spend to grow the business, then I would say the bulk of that money should actually be spent on marketing. Because marketing, my definition of marketing, is something that generates sales qualified leads. It does not have to be complicated. That's what marketing does. Um, and marketing working with sales is a growth team, and that's where we should all be heading. Uh, we had Dan Tyre here last year talking about smarketing. Nobody ever uses that in the UK, but, but I let him say it anyway. But it's, it's, it's the way that we should be thinking. Those teams should be an amalgam. They should be working together. There should be SLA, service level agreements between them. So let's, let's actually step through this, um, the challenges that a client has when they talk to us, when they, when they hire a marketing person internally, well, I'm not getting enough leads, right? Not getting enough traffic to my website. These are very, very common questions. My leads aren't moving down the funnel. We're generating leads, but, but they're kind of stuck. Um, here's one I actually had a conversation with somebody earlier today. I have lots of content, but I'm not actually getting any business from that. It's not converting. And I'm getting leads, but they're bad quality. And if you do surveys and you look at the data, then you actually see this kind of numbers, where the marketing challenges are quite clear. And if you bear with me for one second, I just want to make my own slide slightly bigger. That's fine. And that really distills into these points. I'm not attracting the right traffic or enough traffic to the site. Those are two different things, but essentially there's not enough people coming to the site. It's not converting. 
and even the ones that are turning into leads are not turning into customers. So let's see if, see if we can fix some of those things. One, two, three, sitting on top of the inbound methodology slide. I'm not attracting the right type of customer. Positioning and personas. These are really, really key. Positioning is often something that companies are quite bad at. We were quite guilty of this uh, in early days of trying to be everything to everyone. Yeah, if somebody would come to us and they say, Clued, you know, we want to, to grow our dental practice or we want to grow our you know, huge uh, enterprise software business or you know, we, we've, we've got a corner shop, I'd say, yeah, absolutely, I can help you with that. We deal with companies and grow their business. But if you spread yourself too thin, if you ask for everything, you get nothing. You, you benefit more by being very clear about what your skills are, even what your weaknesses are. And that comes back to the talk earlier on about bad fit. If you're clear that a particular sector or a particular client or a particular environment is not good for you, don't be happy, happy, happy about signing up a new deal. It's, it's so tempting. Learn to say no. But also learn to position yourself on your website so that it's clear what you do, who you can help, and how you can help them. Because those buyer personas that we're going to talk about are therefore going to be comfortable and are going to be attracted to you. If you're a marketing company, well, there's millions of marketing companies out there. But if you're a marketing company that specializes in dealing with companies with a turnover of between two and five that are concentrated in the UK, specifically within the tech sector, maybe even the biotech sector, with a small marketing team, a large sales team, and specific growth targets, then that's going to cut out a whole load of people, but it's actually going to attract the ones that you want to work with. In our case, that probably describes White Hat. So don't be afraid of, of sending people away. The best type of traffic is your ideal customer, not just any type of customer. And this comes back to quality. Again, you've probably heard me talk about this before. We're all guilty sometimes of, of as marketers, of being mediocre. Um, what I call random acts of marketing. I, I, I need to produce a blog post. I've, I've been tasked with producing four blog posts a month. Great, I've produced four blog posts a month. But did it actually move the needle? Did it actually affect the business? Did it affect revenues? Did it hit the KPI targets that we're trying to work towards rather than I've completed my tasks for the month? And agencies and individual marketers are guilty of that. And you need to be clear. You know, if you are a thought leader in your industry, if you have something to say, if you talk at conferences, if you are respected, that should be on your website. It should be clear. You should have quotes. You should have references. You should have videos. Yeah. Lack of ambiguity is, is really, really key. And if you have unique selling points, if you have things that you are specific and really good at, then drill down onto them, double down onto them, and really emphasize them. Personas 
sometimes get dismissed. It, it's, they're, they're, they're like the, the business plans that get created and then thrown away and never looked at. But we think personas, and you've heard, heard HubSpot rant on about personas for a long time, but they're practical tools. They're not something vague. The way I look at a persona, when we go through a persona building exercise with a client, we produce maybe, I don't know, a 40-page document on a particular persona. We go into it in a lot of depth. But within that, there's probably a few things that you really, really need to drill down on. And again, it's not complicated. What are the goals that these particular people have? And what are the barriers that they have to achieving those goals that you can help them with? Right? It's actually not much more complicated than that. What you then need to do, typically you'll have three personas that you'll work with initially if you're starting up a campaign. That's a pretty average number. It's a good, good starting point. Three personas. You've got their buyer's journey. You need to look at that. The steps that they go through. Awareness, consideration, decision. The different steps before they actually buy stuff. So you've got those three steps, you've got three personas, that's nine, my maths is what it is. You then multiply that by all the problems and goals that each of them have. That might be 10, right? It's 90. 90 pieces of content that you need to write. That's your content strategy. There you go. I've created a content strategy for you. It's not hard. There's a great book, and I'm going to quote it, I'll give you the, the actual reference at the end of this presentation by a guy called Marcus Sheridan, who was the last speaker that I spoke, I spoke with, spoke with and, and listened to um, at Inbound. And he's a great speaker, but he also he wrote a great book called They Ask, You Answer. And the whole premise of that book is really just that. Listen to people, find out what problems they have, and address those problems on your website with video, with text, with all the different media sources that you can use. Doesn't need to be more complicated than that. Yeah, what keeps people awake at night? What are the difficult questions that you are actually uncomfortable about putting up on that site? Classic one is price. Now, I can't possibly tell you how much you know, our services cost. We're a value-based business, right? Clients would run away if I quoted a price. We're different from everybody else. You're not different from everybody else. It's the same problem. Yeah? You need to talk about things. Yes, look, everybody has a pricing model that might be variable, but you can talk about it. You can explain your, your methodology, your reason for, for what co constitutes a large, a medium, or low engagement fee. Yeah? People are going to... Find that information anyway. You think they don't know how much you charge, they will find out. They will phone up your competitors. Yeah? There's no point hiding it. Talk about what you're good at. Talk about what you're not good at, what's not a good fit. And once you start doing this, you start talking about things that other people in your industry are not comfortable talking about, then you get noticed. You get referenced. Influencers will start writing about you. They will start referencing you in their blogs, and that will increase your credibility within Google. So this is a trust thing. That's how Google figures out who to put on the first page. Most people write blogs which are never seen. 
Over 90% of content that is produced is never returned via Google search, which is really frustrating if you spent most of the month creating it. <laughs> you need backlinks to those articles to the website. You need credibility. So content creation is only one part of it. And there's different techniques that you can use to actually help that. Um, HubSpot picked up on something called clustering. It's also been called um, skyscraper technique. We've been using this for many, many years. Um, but it's a great way of organizing content. So as we said, search engines are changing. And, and this, is, this is the model that I would strongly recommend that you follow. You might have seen it. Essentially, it, again, not difficult. Old school way of doing this was that if you want to rank for something, you write a blog post on that subject. You want to rank some, something else, you write another blog post, and it's all a bit disorganized. But that doesn't work in a highly competitive environment. It's not good enough. So what you need to do is you need to go to this model, which isn't just there for the purpose of Google. It's there, actually, as a valuable resource for your visitors. What this means, that great big orange blob in the middle, is what's called a pillar page content. It's a thought-leading piece. It's something that you would be proud to share and to put in front of anybody. It's your positioning your thoughts on a particular topic. What, what is it that makes you special? What is it that makes you stand out, and you should have an, a, a deep opinion on that, and you should be able to write quite a lot of content. And that's the reason it's called Skyscraper, is it's, it's tall and thin, right? So it, it's, a, it's a massive piece, 3,000 words minimum, I would say, something like that, well-illustrated, well-researched, well videos, wow. infographics, all sorts of stuff. The reason it's, it's a lot of words is that Google can then pick that up, can read it, can understand it, and then can promote you and reward you for all of the different phrases and keywords and, and titles that you mention within it. So if your topic is, I don't know, um, authority content, you might write a, an article on how to blog, how to write, writing styles. And all of those different things are different headings, different subjects within that article. And you can rank for all of them. It used to be that it was very difficult to rank a single page for multiple keywords. You can literally have hundreds of keywords being ranked in a single page. But it's not good enough just to have a single page. And that's what the peripheral around this is. is. I tend to go off on a rant on search engine optimization. You probably figured this out. It's kind of what I live and breathe. But, um, but, it, but it's becoming more mainstream. And, and it's, it's actually becoming easier, interestingly enough. Um, search engine work is, is now about creating fantastic content and less about all the techie uh, metadata stuff. So those little blobs around the outside, cluster content, what that means is blog posts. So additional content. So you've, you've done this great thought-leading piece, but you can probably do even better. You'll take one of those topics, one of those subheadings, and you'll drill down to it, into it in even more detail and even more detail. So you'll have a whole load of subsidiary keywords, if you like. And each one is, 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 a, is a really good article about that. And each of those blog posts points back to this core piece. And the core piece points back to the, to the blog posts. So you end up with this Wikipedia thing going on. And Google likes that. And strangely enough, people like that as well. Because you end up with this, uh, this 
authority um, section on your site where people can go and do the research, which is what we talked about earlier on. People are trying to find out about something, about you, your product, your service, whatever it is. This is how you do it. Yeah. Workout routines, everybody talks about fat loss. So without getting into the product too much, but HubSpot provides you with tools that you can actually build this stuff out. They've called it the content planner or um, before. It's actually got, it's called SEO now. And it allows you to plan, validate, and execute on all of these different things. Um, and you can check that all of these links are in place between the sites. It'll give you keyword recommendations. You should link it through to your Google Search Console, which many people forget to do. And that will give you uh, a lot of data. OK, second problem. My traffic isn't converting into leads. In the convert stage, we've got an, an issue. This actually gets back to some of the things I've, I've said before, is that your content is probably, let me say the word again, mediocre. It's probably all right, but it's not great. Um, we're all being guilty of this. Random acts of marketing. We're, we're, we, we have to produce so many blog posts. I would much prefer to see one blog post per month rather than four or six. And if that one is a really, really good one, then it will get picked up. Yeah. Um, how do you create really good content? There's lots of different ways. I mentioned the skyscraper technique. This is probably our favorite at the moment, um, video in multiple different forms. <coughs> so the trick here, think about this. And I've had this conversation with many, many clients. We deal with a lot of companies, and, and those companies tend to have specializations. They tend to be deep into a particular thing. They, they might be uh, specialist in, in energy, for example. They might be specialist in technology. And if you, as a marketer, sit in front of the CEO in that company, he's going to ask you, how can you possibly understand my industry? How can you represent me? If you bring an external writer in, or even if we go off and hire one, how is that person going to get that knowledge? He hasn't worked in the industry for the last 20 years like I have. He doesn't know the insides and the outsides of, of what the pains my clients go through. And it's true. Good writers can only be so good. They can do their research, absolutely. They can create the right tone. They can, they can do lots of things. But they don't have that spark. So how do you get that knowledge out of the real source? And the real source is either the CEO, certainly the C-suite, customer support, the sales team, all of those people. That's where the knowledge is. They know the problems that the customers are actually having. Do you think they're going to write a blog post for you? I don't think so. And even if they do, it's not going to be particularly good. Interestingly enough, sales produces more content than marketing statistically because they're churning out PowerPoints and presentations all the time. But that's a separate conversation. So how do you get that real knowledge? Well, the trick is video. You interview these people. You don't have to do it like this. You don't have to hire a, a film crew. 
You can do it through a webinar, you can do it through a conference call, you can do it through Skype. But you get a good person, a good listener, a good strategist to interview. And anybody who's worth their salt will spend 15 minutes, 30 minutes, an hour talking about their passion, their business, their clients' problems that they solve. They will go off on a rant, they'll go sideways, they'll go backwards, but you will get a massive amount of knowledge and information from that person. Then what you do is you give that to a competent writer. And so their credibility in the industry rises. And the sales guys love it because they can then send that out under their own name. They can use it to prospects that they're, they're talking to. You say, look, I've, here's an article I wrote on this subject. Well, they didn't actually write it, but they contributed maybe 90% of it. And you get the pride back, and then you get the sales team working with the marketing team because they actually want to help to contribute to do all this kind of stuff. So it's really, really key. We've taken it to an extreme here, right? This is our content strategy. Now, I'll let you into a secret, right? How does White Hat create content? Well, we invite some really, really good speakers from around the world, put them up on the stage, film them, and then we turn all of that into blog posts and everything else. But you don't need to hire a hall. You don't need to put on a conference. You can run a webinar. Even if nobody turns up, you've got the content. It's really, really powerful. And it's authentic. Yeah. Smart content is another thing that you can use. Um, this is becoming more and more prevalent at the moment. So websites are no longer or should no longer be static. They can change depending on the visitor. So if you're a client of this particular site, you could potentially get a different message. You could get different content being um, shown for you. If you're a different position in the funnel, if you're a different persona, the website can morph in real time based on lists and, and data and analytics. And test. It's such a simple thing to do. In HubSpot, you can set up A-B split testing. The, one of the enterprise-level um, features that um, they announced is that this is going to be expanded. So the problem with A-B split testing is, by definition, you've only got a couple of tests, and, and it's quite difficult to um, really make proper decisions on, 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 on just two. The enterprise system will allow you to do multiple tests in real time, and there'll be an AI engine behind it throwing up different variants of different combinations um, in front of people. So that's, that's the way AI is, is, is going to be changing a lot of this stuff. It's not obvious. People often ask me to look at a website, give a review. What do you think about my web website, Fluid? Oh, it's nice. It's orange. Whatever. Yeah. I've got no idea. What matters is how much business that website is generating, not my opinion of it. Yeah. If it's converting at X percent, and that's a lot higher than industry standards and higher than I would expect, then I think it's a fantastic website. And if, and if it's orange, then let it be orange. Yeah. So bullet points. So finally, I'm not closing enough leads. You've got to help, you've got to help your sales guys. There's, there's, a, there's a problem with sales in that People talk down to salespeople sometimes. They say, well, you know, you should be selling smarter. You know, um, I mean, that's, that's quite insulting to a salesperson. They're actually quite smart people. Some of my best friends are salespeople. 
The thing with sales, the only way you can increase your sales efficiency is that you deal with higher qualified leads. That's marketing, right? And secondly, you stop doing all the admin stuff that the company forces you to do. About, again, I'm making this up, but it's, it's somewhere in my head. I'm sure Adam will correct me if I'm wrong. Something like 30% of a salesperson's time is not actually spent selling. It's some stat somewhere around that. It's big. So if you can actually make small incremental improvements in their day in terms of their productivity, they will sell more. It will be happier for them, happier for the company and everything else. And HubSpot has a ton of tools that, um, and most of them are actually the free product, the free or starter product, that many people don't even know are there, not taking advantage of. It integrates with Outlook. It in integrates with, with Gmail. It has things like templates. A lot of time, you're cutting and pasting, trying to find stuff that you know you wrote three days ago to somebody, and that email should probably be similar to that. And if I could just find it, that would take me some time. You can template all that stuff. You can have a whole list of things, paragraphs, entire emails, snippets, that you can just click, and they'll drop into an email for you. You then personalize it and change it. That saves time. Sequences are just wonderful. If you don't know what a sequence is on the sales side, I would uh, advise you to look it up. So the problem with, with sales uh, and what happens to everybody is that life gets in the way. You've got this fantastic client. You've had a really good call with them. They ask you to call back in two weeks, you know, and you forget. So obviously, you've got task management to deal with that kind of thing. The other thing is that you've got this prospectively fantastic client. You know you can do a good job for them. All they have to do is pick up the phone and talk to you, and you're going to sell them, right? So you've got their phone number. Maybe somebody introduced you. You've got an email. You just need to get them to pick up the phone. Problem is people don't pick up the phone. It goes to voicemail, and they don't listen to their emails. So you have to be persistent. So there's a sales methodology that says, for your business, for your industry, what's your outreach sequence? What, what's, the, what's the cadence? What's the rhythm? to all of this? Is it one email? Do you phone them up two days later? And it's very, very difficult to maintain that as a salesperson because you lose track. So Sequences does that for you. You can template a task, which might be the phone guy, voice message, you can template what to say, email, follow-up email, second voice message, third voice message, final breakup email, Sorry, I couldn't, we couldn't talk. We'd let, here's my contact details. And it will do that for you so you do not forget. Yeah. And you will not lose business because of it. And, and if at any point during any of this an appointment is booked, an email comes back, a reply is received, the sequence gets stopped so they don't get pestered. Tools like this that are quite simple, they can be, you set them up for the team once, then individuals can tailor them and use them. Then you've got a sales methodology. You've got a sales process. And then you can get away from this idea of having a superstar, superstar salesperson because I don't think such a thing should really exist. What you should have is a strong sales methodology, a way of selling, a way of projecting your value as a company. You shouldn't be dependent on really, really good people 
who are going to grow. Because you can't grow the business on, on, on a few superstars. You need a solid methodology that the worst salesperson in your business is doing fantastically well. And documents, things like this are, are just, this is trivially simple, people, right? It's, it's like sending a document, but knowing when people open it, getting a notification back. Yeah? What pages did they actually look at? Did they look at the pricing page? Did they just read the first page and then click away? You get an, an, an idea of engagement. And if you match that up with things like um, um, uh, lead scoring and other metrics, engagement metrics, you can start prioritizing your leads and spend time and meet customers really um, where they want to be met. And a couple of things that came through from inbound messaging tools been pushed for a while, but the integration with, with Facebook is key. Meetings links is, is trivial. Some people don't like this, being asked to click on, on, on a calendar, but it actually solves a problem of email tennis. It's like, can you make Tuesday? No, I can't make Tuesday. How about Thursday afternoon? Just give them a link. Let them book their own. And the statistics around this show that when people book their own meeting with you, they're much less likely to not turn up. <laughs> Strange. Um, but it actually helps. Get the sales guys to look at the analytics and the customer data that's coming out of HubSpot because there's a lot in there. And get them to turn things like the notifications on. So you can get notifications when a prospect comes back to the website, looks at a particular page. You can see what companies, I think this is even in the free product, you can see what companies are visiting your site regardless of whether you know who from that company is, is coming. That's a piece of functionality that Lead Forensic charge an arm and a leg for. It's essentially free with HubSpot. So we've solved all your problems, right? So now you've got high traffic, you've got great conversion rates and, and lots of customers. So all I'm going to leave you with really is, is, is some resources. Um, so I'm going to give you two things. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to give you a fluffy dog. Um, uh, sorry, Adam. Um, so like every good marketer, we've got a, we've got a, a landing page with, a, with, a, with an ebook. So you're very welcome to download this. This is the Inbound Marketing Blueprint, which is um, a summary of the process that you need to go through when you're starting an inbound campaign. It's pretty well structured. It's, it's pretty good. But it is a, just an overview. So I'm going to give you something different from this. And this isn't going to require your opt-in or anything else. There's my email you should have because most of you were invited by me. But if you email me and you ask nicely, then I will give you another PDF which isn't available on our website. And it's only normally shared with our clients. And it's a deep dive into the methodology of inbound. It's got tons of resources. It's probably 60 or 70 pages. You probably will not read it. But if you want it as a reference guide, and if you want a plan, then it's invaluable. We spend a lot of time. We use it as a, as a, as a reference for ourselves and talk about documentation and everything else. That's what came out of, of, of a lot of work that we've done. And I'm happy to share it with you. I'll just give it to you. But you've got to ask me for it. And then the other thing is the videos. You know, we record all these sessions. We've been doing it now for two years. And we do it in quite a structured way. So we've covered tons of stuff. Email marketing, social media, branding. All of these things are available as a resource on that link there, video.whitehat. 
hyphenseo.co.uk. Use it, it's freely available. Listen to these talks. Um, and if you're after a couple of books, there's a great one by a friend of mine called uh, David Jennings, based down in Australia, called Authority Content. And we do a lot of our, we've based a lot of our methodology around uh, his way of, of, of thinking about content generation. And then more recently, they ask you answer Marcus Sheridan. Anybody in marketing, anybody in sales should read that book. Uh, it reads in the same way that he talks. And if you ever heard him talk on video, you know what I mean by that. He's, he's quite engaging. So that's my present to you, some resources. Do I have any questions from the floor? Stony silence. Yes. I wanted to ask about your skyscraper. So once you've built it and finished it, how long after that are you trying to then change it? The skyscraper is less malleable, I would say, than the blog posts. The blog posts I look at as slices in time. A blog might be a review of the current trends or what's happening in a particular conference or somebody's thoughts on a sub subject. So, Blogs, by definition, sort of um, filter down. Skyscrapers should be really solid, and I don't think you should be changing it too much. You might enhance it or, in, or add to it, but it's a thought-leading piece. It's why you do what you do on a subject. Um, obviously, if you change your opinion on why you're good at your own business or anything else, then you need to revise that, and then that's fine. But I, 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 wouldn't, I wouldn't look at it as something that is constantly changing. I would say it's, it's, it's the, the definitive source of, of truth for that topic. That's what you try, want to try and go for. Yeah. Yes? Hey, um, I was actually going to catch you afterwards because we're always so busy. So I'd like to <laughs> Sorry about that. Yes. It's, it's funny that we're still having that conversation, you know, after 20 years of CRM systems. Um, so the question is, is, you know, how to move from, a, from an analog world, which is how a salesman typically feels comfortable with a, a telephone and, and a small black book, right? Um, the trick is, is twofold. There's two things involved in that. The first is the salesman, and the second is the sales manager. Sales manager is all about data and analytics and what's the performance of his team and how many calls have been made and what's our conversion rate around the funnel and all these kind of things. And he wants all of that stuff. Salespeople particularly are not interested in that at all um, because they don't like to be managed. Um, and salespeople think that CRM systems are put in place to provide that data to sales managers, which is why they're often reluctant to take it. I spent half my life building CRM systems for investment banks, so I, I kind of know that from back in the day. But... From a salesman's perspective, the way to, to get on boarding with that is to actually provide them tools like that that can actually help, that don't get in the way. You can do probably 90% or more of what you do as a salesperson without ever logging into HubSpot. You can do it from Outlook and through Gmail. Yeah? You can get the um, information on the client 
you can get um, alerts, you can get access to those templates, you can do calendaring, which is all about sales efficiency. If you make their life easier and you show them that it is not actually some difficult to learn or, or get in the way, they have to do something new, you will make a friend. Um, and then the sales manager comes along and, and can feed on all of that because they, they, they get the data. And once they've got a flavor for it, then they start using it more and then they start picking up on all the other cool stuff that's out there, like sales for video, which is a whole different conversation. Yes. Peter. You had a question? Oh, yes. Um, back to the third page. Yeah. Um, is it as simple as simply providing a, a link on the page between the third page and the subsidiary page, or would you go to the menu, or would you not go to the menu? The, um, the general rule of a pillar page is that uh, the link structure, it should be reachable one or maximum two clicks from the home page. So that could be through a menu or it could be a link on the home page. Um, it should be so that the user can easily find it. And that's what Google is, is looking for. There should be a link from the pillar page to the blog that talks about it. And there should be a link back from the blog to the pillar page. Um, what you shouldn't do is link all of the blogs together. Um, so it's, it's like a laser focused. Everything is, is focused on that page. So Google looks at it and says, well, that is really the most important thing. Everything is talking about it. And then what you do is you go off and use social media to promote it and external people to promote it. And everybody's talking about the pillar page. Yeah. All right. I think we've probably run out of time. I hope this was useful. We haven't set a date yet for the next hug, but it'll probably be the first or second week of December. And we haven't even set a theme yet. So if you've got an idea of what you want to hear, what, who you want to talk, let me know. And as you know, I can probably pull anybody from around the world to get up on the stage and talk to you. So thank you very much for today.